0: you are beautiful people. <clears throat> I want to make sure that I say something that makes you feel good about yourself today. <clears throat> so It's pretty obvious that I'm the lame duck uh, interim preacher here. Uh, last week when I walked in, someone said, is that new preacher here today? And I said, no. And they said, daggone, I was hoping they'd be here today. <clears throat> and today you let the drummer get up front and look what happens. So. <clears throat> but anyways, it is good to be here. And uh, Uh, I I will uh, be praying for you next week as uh, the pastor of your sister church comes and shares. I think that's exciting. It's an awesome thing that you do in Haiti, and uh, then I'll be with you the following week for the last time, and uh, look forward to it, and want to say that I have enjoyed tremendously being here. I think you are a wonderful congregation. It's doing a lot of great stuff in the community, and uh, it's been a good good, uh, 10 months, 11 months now coming over from parkersburg and i've enjoyed every bit of it so thank you for that opportunity look forward to what god's going to do through through you as you move into the future now we're going to talk about hypocrites let's pray (laughs) father we come before you today and we do thank you and praise you for just how awesome you are we thank you for the opportunity to be here and and to worship you today we thank you for those who have led us so well in worship already and for the opportunity to sing praises into your name we thank you for the opportunity to give and it is an opportunity and it is an act of worship and we just thank you for the privilege of being able to give to make a difference in the world we thank you for how generous you've been to us and for all that you have given us and as we come to your word today lord we pray that we will be challenged that we will be changed we pray father that we'll walk out of here being a little closer to you than we were when we came in May your Holy Spirit work in us mightily in these next few minutes. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was uh, reading a little snippet from someone not too long ago, and, and they were talking about going into a pet store to buy mice for their brother's pet snake. <clears throat> Their brother was, had a snake that ate mice, and so he sent him to the pet store. And this guy's talking about going in the pet store, and he said, I, I felt a, a little bad when they first offered me vitamins and other things to help the mice stay healthy as I took them home. But he said, I felt really like a hypocrite when I took them home in a box that said on the outside of it, Thanks for giving me a great new home. <clears throat> have you ever felt like a hypocrite? I have. I'll stand before you and tell you that I know I'm a hypocrite. I know that there are times in my life when I don't live out what I believe, that I say things that I want to be true, but sometimes aren't always true in the way that I live my life when it comes right down to it. And, and the fact is, is that even my heroes have often been hypocrites. As a matter of fact, when you look in the scripture, it's hard to find anybody there who doesn't fit some sort of definition of hypocrisy. No matter how much good they do for the Lord, there are times in their lives when people could label them hypocrites. And the problem that you and I have is that society has redefined hypocrisy. Society has kind of redefined what it means to be a hypocrite. At the heart of hypocrisy really is saying that you believe something, but really not believing it. I was, I was at Alderson Broadus College, and a university now, it was college then, and I was a senior, and I was talking to someone who was going into ministry. They were called to ministry. And, and it was just a one-on-one conversation. I said to them, I said, here's kind of why I feel called to the ministry. What, what, what is your calling? And he looks right at me and he says this. He says, my dad was a coal miner. My grandpa worked in the glass plant. And I am not going to shovel crap for a living. That was his calling. He was going into ministry because he didn't want to do anything. That's hard. I, I didn't tell him after being in ministry. <clears throat> A lot of shoveling crap goes on as a pastor. But the fact is, is he was telling everybody he believed something that he really didn't believe. And that really is hypocrisy at at its really kind of simplest to understand. But the culture has come to define us as hypocrites when we simply mess up. I mean, we can sin, we can do something wrong, we can know it's wrong, we can be under conviction for it being wrong, we can even repent of it, And be forgiven for it, but culture still says you're a hypocrite because you didn't do what you say you believe. And so it's really hard in this culture not to be labeled a hypocrite. But there really are some problems that we can address in hypocrisy as followers of Christ. First of all, there is that real true definition of hypocrisy when there is that gap between what we say we believe and how we actually live what we say we we believe, and what we actually do. And the second thing is that we can deal with is that we have turned our faith into a rule book of do's and don'ts, and we even define ourselves often as people who do certain things. We are the ones who are good, or we are the ones who do good, and so when we mess up, because we are afraid people will not see us as we want to be seen, we cover it up. And so we have this cycle that goes on that continues to help the culture label us as hypocrites. I want to go through a story of someone who I want to say is a heroic hypocrite in the Scripture, and I'm going to do another one in a couple of weeks. But today, I want us just to look at the story of David. The story of David in the Old Testament, where we're going to go and skip through some Scriptures to kind of look at a panorama of his life. And I want us to kind of take from that, what are some things that we can learn about hypocrisy? Let's start off kind of early in the story in First Samuel chapter 16. If you want to turn there, we're going to start in the very first verse of that chapter, and it says this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him, and they asked, Do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And if you go down through the next few verses, you'll see that that he parades Jesse's sons in front of him, ones that everyone would have thought would be the ones that would be anointed, and God rejects each and every one of them. And and down in verse, uh, pick up in verse 10, it says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him, we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And then Samuel went on to Ramah. Now, when you look at this kind of early uh, scene in David's life, you see that God chooses David for something very special. He chooses David for something very special when everyone else overlooked him. This is, uh, in a fact, the nature of God. As a matter of fact, for those of you sitting out there, I can say this with all authority and with all confidence. God has chosen you when many others have overlooked you. Others may think you don't have the personality. Others may think you don't have the gifts. Others may think you don't have the experience. But God chooses people that others often overlook. But he chose David for a couple of things. First of all, he chose David to be different. He was chosen for holiness. Holiness. If you look over in the New Testament, we get a sense of the fact that each and every one of us are chosen for holiness as well. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 13-16, we read this, Therefore prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so what? Be holy in all you do. That is a calling. That is what each and every one of you and and what I am called to. We are called to be holy in all we do, for it is written, Be holy, God says, because I am holy. The word holy there, hagios, means to literally be set apart, to be distinct, to be different. to to live in such a way really where people are kind of in awe of the difference that you have in your life by who you are and what you do. And so David was chosen to be holy just as you are chosen to be holy. This is your calling, and it describes not so much what you do, but it describes who you are, who you are called to be, or rather, under the power of the Holy Spirit, who you are becoming. And, And the first thing that you have to know in that is, who I am now. And what I mean by that is so many of us don't understand holiness because we don't understand unholiness. So many of us struggle with becoming holy because we don't know how to admit how unholy I really am without Christ in my life. And so for us, the very beginning of this whole journey and part of the journey every day is this humility of realizing how unholy I really am, and how I absolutely depend on the power of the Holy Spirit for any holiness that I have in my life. And this is where we really get in trouble with hypocrisy. We, we begin to ignore who we really are. We begin to ignore our sinful natures. We begin to, to, to lose the authenticity about our brokenness and our weaknesses. And we never really move toward being who God wants to be unless we first come face-to-face with who we really are. David Benner, who who is a Christian psychologist, writes this. He says, the roots of our pretend self lie in our childhood discovery that we can secure love by presenting ourselves in the most flattering light. Basically, what he's saying is we learn early to put on a mask. We learn early to say certain things, to act certain ways, to pretend That we are what we hope everyone else thinks we are, rather than just coming out and saying, this is who I am. And we don't proceed toward holiness because we're too busy pretending to be holy already. You get my drift? Pastors are the worst about this. We feel like if we stand up in the pulpit and if we don't come across as the person that you expect us to be, if we stand up and confess that we have these weaknesses or we stand up and confess that we've got a way to go before we are where God wants us to be, then we think that somehow you're not going to look at us in the light that we need to be looked at. And the fact is that kills our opportunity to be authentic with the people outside the walls of the church because they look at us and they say, look, I know you're not as holy as you act like you are. Because I see what you do other days of the week. I'll never forget, someone asked me one time, I was doing a training and they said, as a pastor, how do you know you've been in the church long enough to make a difference? And I said, without thinking, in front of 300 people, when they cuss in front of you. And people are like, oh, really? I said, yeah. You know, you go to visit people, they take the Budweiser signs off the wall, right? Right? They don't cuss in front of you. They they try to act like they're something that they're not, and you can't work with people who are not authentic. And if you go into a house and someone cusses in front of you, and, and you go, oh, my goodness gracious, woo, where'd that come from? That righteous indignation doesn't get you anywhere. So I want to tell you as a pastor, I heard some words in my lifetime. I've heard some words from church people in my lifetime. My favorite thing is to go in right after they've been given anesthesia for some sort of surgery and listen to the words that they say. And even if they don't say anything, to tell them, you wouldn't believe what you said when you had that shot the other day. We don't just deceive others with this mask. We can actually deceive ourselves. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? We deceive ourselves. God calls us to holiness, but that begins with a recognition of how unholy we really are each and every day. And, and then God calls us not only to be holy in, in who we are, which is kind of working on our character, but then He also calls us to do something out of that holiness. He calls us to service. And this is exactly what He calls David to, to be holy, but then David to do certain things. He's not concerned only about who we are, but He also wants us to bear fruit, So that holiness should then result in us doing things that other people don't do. In us loving people that other people don't love. Serving people that other people don't serve. David was chosen to be the king of Israel. You're not chosen maybe to be the king, but you're chosen to do something. You're chosen to be busy for God to to make a difference in the lives of others. In Ephesians 2.10, it tells us, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared and advanced for us to do. So every one of us have a job. Every one of us have something that we ought to be doing in the, to be the presence of Jesus Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the world today. So the church and every one of us in it is called to be holy and to serve God in this world. And like David, all of us are chosen at this very distinct point. And if you go back to David's life, he responds to that call. And you can probably remember responding, most of you, to that call when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And look what happens not long after he receives this call and what's kind of all, actually all wrapped up in this kind of same story over in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. Most of you are familiar with this story. It says, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. You remember this? The Philistine's over against the Israelite army. And they have this big giant Goliath who wants to fight someone in the Israeli army and nobody will go. And he says, your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're able to go out against this Philistine and fight him? You're only a boy and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock... I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it, car- when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the power of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. You remember being this full of them in vigor? Do you remember a time in your relationship with Christ when you were ready to just conquer the world for Him? You didn't care what the rest of the world thought. You really honestly were trying to let the Holy Spirit make you into someone new. You really honestly were trying to live a life that was different than other people around you and a life that was different than what you'd lived before. You were really honestly loving God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind and loving others as yourself. And you would do whatever you were called to do. No matter what the risk no matter what the cost. It was an exciting, adventurous time of life for you. This is exactly where David's at. He has been anointed as the one chosen by God to be holy and to do something, and here's something that needs to be done. And nobody else will do it. And nobody else believes that he can do it. And yet he says, I'm going to take care of this giant. Can you remember the excitement and adventure of your early days with Jesus? He's on a roll. He goes down. You know the story. He takes that sling and he takes that stone and he kills Goliath. He does the miraculous. He gives God the glory. And you know what happens? He becomes a rock star. Everybody starts to know who David is. Everybody starts to see how how incredibly powerful he is. He begins to get a lot of authority. And people begin to look up to him. And if you fast forward to 1 Samuel 18, 12 through 16... You see that Saul begins to be afraid of David because of this. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. And everything he did, he had great success because the Lord Was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Man, what a great place to be. Amen. You can say amen loud. Amen. Amen. I mean, to be successful in everything you do, God is with you in every single thing you do, and everybody looks up to you, and everybody in all the nation loves you. I've been doing this interim preaching stuff for the last couple of years. I've been, you're the second church, I've done it long term in, and one church I did it for about three or four months in, and my wife always goes with me, and she always says, those people love you there, and I'm like, it's so easy to love someone you see for 20 minutes a week, right? (laughs) It is so easy, and I remember I was in one church, and it was an older congregation, and and, and they were kind of just wanting a chaplain as a pastor. And they were asking me, you know, hey, you can do your other job. Just come be our pastor. And they're like, we just love you to death. And my wife walked out in the car and she said, you know, if you go there, they'll hate you in two months. I said, yeah, I know they will. Because of the fact that, you know what? It's not about just getting everyone to love you. It's about doing what God wants you to do. And the great thing is, is that when you're doing what God wants you to do, sometimes people will love you. Sometimes the entire nation will be behind you. Sometimes the entire church will say, man, isn't it great to have that person in the Sunday school class? Isn't it great to have that person in the church? Let's ask them to be a deacon. Let's ask them to teach Sunday school. Let's ask them to lead worship. They're committed. They're dedicated. They're they're all of that in a bag of chips. And here lies the first danger of hypocrisy. The praise of others can lead to hypocrisy. In John 12, 42 and 43, we read these words. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, talking about Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they what? Loved the praise of men more than the praise from God. Now notice that they believed. They, they wanted to be public with their belief but they were afraid of what others would think if they were because they enjoyed the praise of others more than they enjoyed the praise of God. It is so easy to begin to believe your own press. And then your service turns from God and others to you. It looks the same on the outside often, but you know the difference. It looks like you're still doing it for God and for others, but... Somehow this subtle switch has happened and it's really more about you. It's really kind of the difference between a parent who wants to be a buddy and a parent who wants to be a parent. You know the difference? One parent's because they want their kids to love them and one parent's because they love their kids. They want to raise them right and prepare them for the future and do those things that need to be done. And it's so easy to believe what everybody says. It's so easy to believe that we control our own destiny. It's so easy to believe that everything we got really has come from our hard work and our dedication. There always comes that time when things aren't that successful. There always comes that time when we're doing God's will, but the world doesn't love us. When we're doing God's will but everything we touch seems to fail rather than to succeed, what happens then? One of my favorite stories is Shirley Temple said she quit believing in Santa Claus when he asked her for her autograph. (laughs) Think about that. Think about how we can get so pumped up in our society and it seems to happen with David. You fast forward, he becomes king. He's successful in everything that he does. He's anointed by God for goodness sake. How can he fail? And in 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5, in the spring. You remember this scripture? At the time when kings go off to war. Make sure to tell us what kings really ought to be doing. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. And the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. And with this choice, David brings calamity upon his house, upon his family, upon his nation for generations and generations to come. Maybe you've made that kind of mistake. Maybe you were that one who was successful in all that you did. Maybe you were that one who loved to serve the Lord with all that you are and all that you have. But then you made that choice. You made that one choice that allowed everybody else to say you're a hypocrite. Allowed everybody else to say you don't really live what you believe. Allowed everybody else to say that you really messed up. And this one sin can have horrible consequences for a lot of people. And at the heart of this sin is hypocrisy. David walked away from who he was called to be, holy. And what he was called to do, be king. And maybe you've walked away from who you are. Or forsaken what you were called to do. And that would really make you a hypocrite. And it would also make you in good company with probably every other person in here if they're over 10 years old and have lived long enough and had enough experiences. Almost all of us have turned our back on who we are and turned our back on what we're called to do. <clears throat> Lee Goff says, The church is full of hypocrites. Yes, it is. And thank God for that. It means the church is doing its job. The church wants hypocrites, adulterers, thieves, and more for the church is where we receive healing. To condemn the church because it has failed members to condemn is to condemn... It's like to condemn a hospital because it's full of sick people. All are welcome. You are welcome here. All of us at some point forsake who we are in Christ. All of us at some point forsake what we are called to do. That's what sin is, and we are all still sinners. But see, what David does when he gets caught is what drives the hypocrisy even deeper. And it's what we often do as well. Look over at 2 Samuel 11, 12 through 17. <clears throat> David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow, tomorrow we'll send you back. He's talking to Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. And in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. This is where we mess up the worst in the church. If when we forsake god if when we sin we would be authentic enough to fall down on our knees not worry about what everybody else thinks moreover if we would be the kind of community of faith that wouldn't make them have to worry about what everybody else thinks that we would realize we sin and fall short of the glory of god that we would gather around people who are broken and who are in that place so we don't have to put on this mask and disguise it Then there would be restoration, then there would be forgiveness, then there would be renewal. Unfortunately, David's like, I can't let anybody else find out about what I've done. And so he goes even to a deeper sin of murder to cover up his sin of adultery. And so it just becomes this this string of things going on. Because David is doing what many of us do. We are pretending we are not sinners. And to pretend that we are not sinners is at the root of hypocrisy. And that's why so many out there in the world have such a bad opinion of us as a church. Because they're smart enough to know that most of us aren't as righteous as we act like we are. And so sometimes we just need to say, I'm struggling. Now I'm not saying we sin. Like Paul says, we don't sin so that grace may abound. We don't sin on purpose so that people will say, hey, we're like them. No, it's a genuine struggle. But when we genuinely fail... When we genuinely mess up, the way back to where God wants us to be is not to pretend that we haven't sinned, but the way back to where God wants us to be is to fall down in confession and authentic repentance and begging for His forgiveness. We're called to this confession. Remember James 5, 16? Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Listen to that. How many people really do that in the church? Hey, brother, come here. You know what I did this week? Whoa, are you kidding me? You know? Never would have thought you'd have been guilty of something like that. Right? Imagine what kind of a community of faith we would be if when people sinned, if when they messed up, if when they were outside of the will of God, they could walk into the congregation and go, Look, I have sinned before Almighty God. Please pray with me. Please pray for me. Our tradition in the Baptist Church of calling people down front to pray, there's nothing magical about that. Nothing magical about someone coming down front to pray. You can accept Christ wherever you are, you can pray about your problems wherever you are. What I like about it in our tradition is, and it's an admission when I walk down here, that I need all of you to pray for me. And that's one of the reasons nobody does it anymore. Because everybody's going to go, What's wrong with them? You know? I wonder what's going on in their marriage. Well, I heard at the barbershop the other day that, you know, she's been seeing so, been on the phone with him too much. And all that stuff starts. That's not what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be confessing our sins to each other and praying for each other so that we may be healed because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That's who we're supposed to be in our life. David wreaked havoc with his hypocrisy. His sin and his trail of sin to cover it up, cover it up, and we wreak havoc with our hypocrisy. not just our sin. <clears throat> That's tragic enough, but it's what we do after the sin that really makes us the hypocrites. How much of your life has been ruined by your hypocrisy? David finally confessed. He got caught. He got approached by the prophet. But he finally fessed up. He finally confessed. He finally experienced the restoration of God in his life. There were still consequences that remain even today in the nations that were involved. But the Bible tells us to remember him as what? A man after God's own heart. This is an adulterer and a murderer. And God says, but he is a man after my own heart. See, that's authenticity. That's where we're supposed to be. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, we read David's confession to Nathan. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. All of us who have been in church for a while know how to say what we're supposed to say. We know know the right answers we're supposed to give. We even know how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to dress, what we're supposed to be involved in and not involved in, and all that kind of stuff, depending on our particular tradition in the church. But the fact is, God says, I seek those who will worship me in what? Spirit and truth. You know what that says to me? God wants us to be authentic. And if you're broken, and you're messed up, and you're in the cycle of a sin that you can't break out of, quit pretending that it's okay. And if anyone looks down on you for it, then God forgive them. The church, the real church, will put their arms around you and encourage you and pray for you and walk that journey with you because guess what? You may be shocked to find out that all of them have been or are where you are right now in some part of their own life I know I have been I know I am I got in some of the biggest trouble I've ever got in with my church one time when I stood up and I said to them I want to let you all know something I am horribly addicted to Copenhagen and half the church went oh, our pastor is addicted to Copenhagen Well, you mean like have you quit? yes, 85 times right are you back at it? Not right now, but I want to tell you right now, I have been when I've stood up here and preached to you. I've known what addiction's like because it got me at a young age in this hillbilly world I live in and hunting and fishing with everybody else. And and you mean God's not powerful enough to take that away from you? God's powerful enough to take something away from everybody, but I'm not powerful enough to do everything God wants me to do. And if that makes you look at me as less than who I am, sorry. Sorry. Because if you look at me as something more, you're looking at someone that's not real. And I could tell you more, but I won't. <laughs> okay? <sighs> Fact is, wouldn't it be nice to not have to handle what you're handling this morning by yourself? Wouldn't it be nice to have, not have to work so hard to keep it secret? To just be able to say, church, help me the power of the Holy Spirit. Join me in a word of prayer.